Now it's a privilege to be with you again today here in Aberdeen and back at Fernie Lee and we do uh, thank you for the opportunity to be here for the very warm welcome. And last night I was introduced as knowledgeable and experienced. I explained that to the young folks that that was code for old and uh, at least today I've been spared that. But uh, we want to turn together today first of all at John's Gospel and uh, over these three sessions we live in momentous days and it's quite clear even our own land at the moment momentous events that we've seen in recent days a change of prime minister and of monarch in the space of 48 hours but we live in momentous days as far as the world as a whole is concerned uh, and what I really had a little exercise to look at today is three aspects of what lies before us as the children of God and we've entitled these really first of all to be with him the church removed and that's what we're going to look at just now and then later on we're going to say something about to behold his glory and the lamb recognized and we're going to look at an inauguration and a transfer of power not of a new prime minister and not even of a new sovereign but we're going to see the title deeds of the universe placed in the hand of God's man and you and I could be witnessing that by the way before the end of today that is what I believe from what we're going to teach in the first section that we could observe what we're going to see in the second section before the end of the day but then I want to just look a little bit further on beyond that and think about the problems that our world faces and I want to say something about sharing in his reign and the creation restored Romans chapter 8 says this the creation groaneth you know when I was a youngster and read that I used to read it and say well it's kind of you know, flowery language and a strange way to speak and, but if you look at the world round about us today and without being over dramatic you almost feel you can hear the creation groaning you can almost feel an earth that is exhausted by the wickedness of men and the awful catastrophe of human rule every form of human rule and is waiting I believe for a sabbath of rest and we'll say something about that later on now I want to say up front that these things we're going to look at a huge proportion of Christians do not believe a lot of what we're going to say today and that's why I think it's so important particularly when I see these young folks here that we understand why we believe these things not just because we've been brought up with them but I want us to see that this is truth that's found in the word of God and whether it's truth that perhaps was not being recovered the way it should have been it's nevertheless truth that we need to take heart and to realise its implications. Now we're going to read a series of readings in John's Gospel. And uh, we could have read passages in the epistles. But I really want to go to the foundation of this subject. I want to start in John chapter 5. You might think that's a, a strange place to start. The Lord Jesus has just performed the third of the seven great signs of John's Gospel. He performed the first two in Galilee. The turning of the water into, into the wine uh, was performed there in Galilee and the raising of the nobleman's son. Uh, and now this, first, this third one was at the pool in Jerusalem. Now that pattern continues in John's Gospel. Two more in Galilee. He'll eventually feed the 5,000 and walk on the water. And then he'll make a blind man to see again at Jerusalem. 
and then finally and we're going to look at it today as well the seventh of the great signs is the resurrection of Lazarus again in Judea not quite in Jerusalem but only two miles away in Bethany and it's remarkable that each time he performed the miracles in Galilee they resulted in adulation and huge crowds but each time he performed one of these signs in Jerusalem or Judea it resulted in terrible opposition because you see they're a picture of a nation that has failed now you'll discover that the man at the pool when the Lord says what's your problem he says I've got no one to help me I've got no one to help me he lay there for 38 years just like a nation that wandered aimlessly for 38 years because of disobedience when he came to the blind man the people knew what he was driving at they said are we blind (laughs) that's exactly what he was pointing at a nation that had lost its love no one to help a nation that had lost its light blind and finally the raising of a decomposing body a nation that had lost its life God is life God is, is, uh, God is love and God is light and God is life and these three great signs show that this nation had failed and this nation at the beginning of this gospel are called his own but by the time you get to chapter 13 it's a different group of people who are called his own and it's people just like you and I it's that little group of disciples and so I want you just to keep that in the background that I think this gospel is all about a transition we're going to speak about transitions today and it's all about a transition from an earthly nation that failed miserably to a bride for the Lord Jesus a New Testament church and God has a totally different program for both of them and that is so important if you're going to understand your Bible correctly now let's read in John 5 there's the background he's performed the first of these miracles there's great opposition uh, and really uh, they're, they're, they're really starting already to show their hatred for the Lord Jesus and then he says this to them in verse 25 of John 5 verily verily I say unto you the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the son of God and they that hear shall live now look a little further down in verse 28 he says marvel not at this for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation now what the Lord Jesus is teaching in verses 28 and 29 is found in the prophecy of Daniel and Daniel tells us very clearly about these resurrections a resurrection to life and a resurrection to damnation and it's of all the dead but you did notice I hope in verse 25 it's not of all the dead this is something that's imminent and the dead shall hear his voice and they that hear shall live now let's just move on a a little bit Um, just as we pass it let's read a verse in chapter 8 and verse 21 now again uh, what we're now getting is this terrible opposition the Lord Jesus has just uh, dealt with the issue of the woman taken in adultery one of the many women in this gospel and uh, following that 
this is what he says to the righteous people of the day verse 21 then said Jesus unto them I go my way and ye shall seek me and shall die in your sins whither I go ye cannot come now he's speaking to the Jewish leaders of the people now let's move over to a very famous chapter 11 I'm, I'm going to assume that you're all reasonably aware of the resurrection of Lazarus and I just want to take some little phrases out of the chapter so I apologise for that but let's just uh, take some verses uh, and let's read from verse 6 when he had heard therefore that he was sick he abode two days still in the place where he was and then after that saith he to his disciples let us go unto Judea again now go down to uh, verse 11 these things said he and just look at this pattern here of speaking about sleep and death just watch this now these things saith he unto them after that he saith unto them verse 11 our friend Lazarus sleepeth for the first time but I go that I may awake him out of sleep for the second time they said unto him if he sleep he shall do well how be Jesus spake of his death but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest in sleep mentioned again then said Jesus unto them plainly Lazarus is dead now again just keep that little picture in your minds for later sleeping 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 and then plainly he's dead now just from the rest of the chapter just to, to see a, a little bit of the terminology um, then, then uh, just let me catch the right verse uh, verse 17 then when Jesus came he found he had lain in the grave four days already look at verse 20 then Martha as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming just look at the number of times this passage speaks about Jesus came, Jesus was coming and uh, she says remarkably if thou hadst been here my brother had not died and then go a little bit further down um, verse 28 uh, they came to Mary when she had so said she went away and called Mary her sister secretly saying the master is come and is calling for thee verse 32 says then when Mary was come to where Jesus was and then we go a little bit further down and uh, when you come to uh, verse 34 where have you laid him they said uh, they said unto the Lord come and see and verse 38 Jesus therefore again groaning in himself cometh to the grave and it was a cave etc and uh, then those remarkable words verse 43 when he had thus spoken he cried with a loud voice Lazarus come forth and he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was bound about with a napkin Jesus saith unto them loose him and let him go now just for reference we're not going to look at all of this or we'll miss the tea break won't we but uh, look at chapter 12 verse 1 and then Jesus six days before the Passover came to Bethany where Lazarus was which had been dead whom he had raised from the dead now I think that is just a statement of the fact that the Lord Jesus came uh, it's the beginning of that final week and then something remarkable happens I think what hap you read in verse 2 uh, down to verse 11 is completely out of chronology which is 
unique in John's Gospel. And it's because he's relating an incident that took place later in the week. Now that explains why there's not two different groups of women, or two different women, who anoint the Lord. The one, the anointing in the house of Simon the leper, and the anointing here, I believe, are very clearly the same thing. And it's spoken of the woman, and it's been spoken of her throughout all of church history. And it is, of course, Mary of Bethany. So they made a supper, verse 2, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him, then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly. But verse 12 says, now I think on the next day is referring back to verse 1. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and we all know the uh, Palm Sunday as we refer to it and the great adulation as he comes into Jerusalem now very quickly just a verse in passing in chapter 13 and now the Lord Jesus has got his own and he's speaking very specifically to them and in verse 33 he says this to them remember what he said to the Jews back in chapter 8 little children yet a little while I am with you ye shall seek me and as I said unto the Jews whither I go ye cannot come so now I say to you now that was a shocking thing to say to them and Peter questions it verse 36 Simon Peter said unto him Lord whither goest thou and Jesus answered him whither I go, I go thou canst not follow me now but thou shalt follow me hereafter and then these wonderful verses which I suspect we may hear uh, read again uh, on Monday although they were read in one of the services during the week and we trust these are words that were precious to her majesty and it was great to hear them read publicly John 14 verse 1 let not your heart be troubled you believe in God believe also in me in my father's house are many mansions or dwelling places if it were not so I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there ye may be also now over to chapter 17 this is the end of what we call the upper room ministry although they've long left the upper room at this stage and the Lord Jesus prays and he makes seven great requests and this is the last one this is his final prayer this is his final request of his father and in John 17 in verse, uh, 20, uh, verse 24 you read these words Father I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world now finally John chapter 21 just to take us right to the end of the gospel and I'm going to assume you know a little of the incident it's the, uh, the Lord Jesus well not so much the recovery of Peter but really uh, Peter's challenge and the Lord pointing out to him how he would glorify him in death the wonderful news for Peter that Peter you may have failed me a few days ago but the next time you won't fail me and neither he did and the man did glorify the Lord Jesus in his death as he was graciously told but Peter being Peter he's a bit more interested in everybody else and at the end of John 21 he has a look round and he sees John the author of this gospel 
who by the way is now an old man in his 90s when he's writing this gospel and the other, the other writers of scripture have finished writing quarter of a century before and this, when you think of that think of these words we're about to read then Peter verse 20 of John 21 right at the end of the gospel Peter turning about seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following but she also leaned on his breast at supper and said Lord which is he that betrayeth thee Peter seeing saith to Jesus Lord what shall this man do Jesus saith unto him if it be that he tarry till I come what is that to thee follow thou me if it be that he tarry till I come now we know that God blesses the reading of his word and uh, I apologise for the reading and we did try to cover some of the the material as we went through the reading uh, because really what I want to to say to you now is that I think this gospel stands dramatically different some of you may have been there I'm pretty sure uh, it was at Inverurie and I was with our brother Ian Jameson known to many here of course and uh, Ian pointed out that while he was studying theology at one point in a theology class he was asked in front of the whole class the whole class were asked how many of you here believe in the so-called imminent rapture of the church and only one person in the entire theology class put his hand up and that was Ian he was the one and only not a single other person studying theology going out to be ministers and teachers and preachers and whatever else only he put his hand up to say he believed in an imminent return and rapture of the church and the removal of God's people and a little period of time went by and they had another lecture and one of the things they had in theology one of the things our brother Ian didn't particularly like is that they would bring in skeptics and they would bring in lecturers to lecture to them who didn't believe and one of these skeptics came in and his task was to point out to them some of the great contradictions supposedly in scripture and the one that he picked was this he read a series of passages in Matthew, Mark and Luke and then he read a whole number of the passages that we've just read in John and then he pointed out to the class that when he reads in Matthew, Mark and Luke about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ it's all about the Lord Jesus coming to earth when will you set up your kingdom? When are you coming to reign? When the, and the Lord says to the people of his day, you'll see the Son of Man in power. And, and he speaks about the judgment that's coming. And he speaks about ruling on earth. And, he, and it's, you look at those three Gospels, it's all about the Lord Jesus coming to earth. And then said the skeptic, but when I turn to John's Gospel, <laughs> oh, he says, wait a minute, it's not about, you don't find anything there about him coming to earth. What you'll find is all about his people going to heaven. And so he turned to the class and he said, so which is it? Is he coming here or are you going there? Which one is it? And our brother Ian Jameson says, well I've got an answer. But I'm not sure that anybody else in here has got an answer. And the reason is, because I want us to see today, we're looking at two different things. And what we're reading about in John's Gospel today is not a prophetic event. Now you might find that a strange thing to say, that the rapture is not a prophetic event. The reason we say that is, a huge chunk of your Old Testament is prophecy. The last 17 books are prophetic. And you won't find a single mention of this event anywhere in them. Nothing. You hear huge mentions in them of the Lord Jesus coming, in what we term his second coming, coming to earth, to rule, to reign, some of the things we're going to look at later. 
But you will not find any mention whatsoever of this event. What you will find is what the Lord Jesus refers to in John chapter 5. You will find a statement in uh, Daniel, and Daniel talking of the coming of the Son of Man, and Daniel speaking of a resurrection of the dead. Both the just dead and the unjust dead. And the Lord Jesus quotes that, that was clearly known to the Jews. When the Lord Jesus comes to Bethany in John 11, and he speaks with Martha, she's a very intelligent woman in the scriptures. She's very intelligent in several things. The first thing she says is, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And you know what? She was 100% correct. Nobody ever died in his presence. And then she says a second thing, and I know we pick it up for the use of words, and we're a little bit critical at times. And she says, and not only that, Lord, whatever you ask now, God will do it. She was right about that as well. And then the Lord says to her, Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha demonstrated that she knew Daniel. She says, Lord, I know that he's going to rise again in the resurrection of the last day. That's all they knew. That's what the Old Testament teaches. And the Lord Jesus says to her, Martha, I want to tell you something else. He says, you know, Martha, when it comes to resurrection, and it comes to the giving of life, he says, it's all about me. It's all centered in a person. It's like everything that we believe. I wish we could get back to realizing that. All of our beliefs, our whole system of belief are all about a person. We've got to get that in our hearts and minds. Then we'll put a value on the assembly and a value on his people and a value that we perhaps don't put today when we realize that everything about it is putting him at the center. He says, Martha, I am. It's one of the, he says, I am the resurrection of life. And he says, he that believeth in me, though he were dead, like your brother, yet shall he live. And he says, but I want to tell you something else. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me, will never die. Martha, I want to tell you about the possibility of never facing death. And then it's illustrated. We'll come to that in a moment. But the Lord had already given a little hint back in chapter 5. You see, before he turned to these Jews and he spoke to them about the resurrection of Daniel, he says something else. He says that the time is coming. He could have said that as he did about Daniel's prophecy. He says, that's coming. All the dead will rise. But he says, I want to tell you something else. He says, the time is coming. And now is. Oh, this is something that's imminent. He says, uh, and this is going to be a selective resurrection. What we call, technically people call an out-resurrection. Not a general resurrection of the dead. He says, no, no, this is going to be a resurrection of them that hear my voice. And it's very important to understand that. And he says, them that hear shall live. And he's already indicating, way back as early as chapter 5 in this gospel, you know, I, I was asked to preach, you've got gospel meeting tomorrow, and I've been asked to preach, after, I've been given the passages in Matthew. Something very similar happened to me in, in a place, a good couple of hundred miles or thereabouts from here, not quite a couple of hundred. And uh, they, they gave me this passage, and the passage they gave me was John 5. Ironically, it's what started me off on this train of looking through this subject very specifically from John's Gospel. At the end of the meeting, a young fellow came to me at the back of the hall, and he says, uh, that's the passage that turned me away from the errors of dispensationalism. 
and maybe I was a little bit cheeky, I knew him relatively well. And I said, you know, you should have kept reading. You shouldn't have stopped at chapter 5. Because if ever there's a book in your Bible that would have turned you straight back round the other way, it's John's Gospel. And if you just kept reading John's Gospel, you would see that God undoubtedly, and we'll talk about this a little later, has a completely different program from the church that he has for the nation of Israel. Now we're going to say more about that later on. But here in John chapter 5, the Lord Jesus gives a hint at this imminence. And then you'll notice in John's Gospel, he doesn't speak about going to the cross. He speaks about going to his Father. And even when we came to chapter 8, he says to the Jews, and now the opposition is getting really heavy, and he says, I'll be going. I'll be leaving. And he says, where I'm going, you can't come. And he says, you're going to die in your sins. You're going to die in your sins. This is the religious people of the day. This is this nation that have failed. Oh, amongst them there's been a remnant. He's found a fellow back in chapter 1 called Nathaniel. And he's, looked, he's taken one look at Nathaniel and he's said, You're the real deal, Nathaniel. You're what they were meant to be. You're an Israelite indeed in whom there's no guile. You're the real thing. That's what I wanted for this nation. We didn't find much of it who is here, just a few. You see, they're the tail end of a failed nation in Matthew, Mark and Luke. They're the embryo of a New Testament church in John. And so we then come to chapter 11. But let's just say a little something else first. If this is not a prophetic subject, and yet I don't want to suggest to you it can't be found in the Old Testament. You see, I think God speaks to us in pictures. As a little lad, I used to get taken to a lot more meetings than I wanted to go to. I better watch what I'm saying when I've got grandsons sitting at the back of the hall, hadn't I? But, uh, you know, I was at a place just two weeks ago and uh, I couldn't help remembering as I stood there coming as a boy when my dad was preaching. And my mum used to feel if his voice was too loud, she would do that. And that was, that was a little signal for tone it down, Jeremy, being a wee bit loud. And uh, I thought if what was good for her was good for me. So I could do that, which meant... <laughs> You know, a wee bit long and maybe you could wind it up now dad and uh, well you know when I was taking these weeks I had a children's bible and I have to be honest I was much more interested in the pictures than the words but as you get older you discover actually your bible is a picture book and all the way through that old testament God has painted little pictures for us remarkable pictures he's going to bring in this horrendous judgment on the whole world he's about to do it again by the way Probably a world that was similar in population to this could easily have been 8 billion. He's going to bring in this awesome judgment. And as it's approaching, there's a fellow going day goes out for a walk. His name's Enoch. And this mysterious man on the Bible that we know very little about, it was a little addition in the New Testament. He says, one day he says he was no more, for God took him. And before the judgment came, God whipped him out. He was gone. And even when the judgment did come, you know, uh, those eight that went into that ark, you know, uh, it's a very strange thing out there where I, I visit a part, part of America sometimes for work, or I did, I don't anymore since COVID, and uh, not far away there's a creation museum, and not far from that they've built a replica of the ark, full size. And of course the interesting thing is the one window is a window that looked upward. And even those eight, as the judgment of God poured out on this world, not a single drop of rain touched one of them. And their eyes were not focused on here, their eyes were focused on there. And then that nation, their failure got to such an extent, 
that 10 of the 12 tribes are about to be carted off and carted off to this day never coming back and before he does it he's a great faithful servant his name's Elijah and it says one day the chariots of God just took him and whipped him away to heaven before the judgment came you know I've missed one out Sodom and Gomorrah there's a man there who probably shouldn't have been where he was and he's there with his family by the way and notice who comes out with him those that were still in his own household under his own responsibility I think you can build precedent on these things by the way I do think that's a little indication to us that what happens when the Lord comes God is just and righteous and don't you be getting yourself distressed about children etc Lot's daughters were brought out do you know what the angel said to Lot and you remember that bargaining that went on by Abraham and he ended up with ten the ten is the absolute minimum that Lot's extended family could have been you can go and look at that for yourself but Lot's extended family could not have been less than ten I wonder if that's why Abraham stopped at that spot and as it happens the sons, the son-in-laws, the married daughters none of them believed and along comes the angel and frankly Lot's really at the stage he's not going to go out he's going to have to be dragged out I don't want to be flippant or speak loosely and disrespectfully but I think to be honest some of the Lord's people today are going to need to be virtually dragged out and the angel says to Lot I tell you this Lot until you come out I can do nothing God is not going to pour out his wrath and his judgment upon this world if his people are still here now that's the teaching of 1st Thessalonians I love 1st Thessalonians they misunderstand but I tell you this they're a spiritual people and the reason they misunderstand is some of them have died and they're, they're, they're astounded they didn't expect it they believed in an imminent return they believed it was so imminent they didn't think any of them were going to die they thought they were about to be taken and then some of them died and Paul before he even gets to all the rest of the truth and all of the detail he says just be very clear about this thing he's going to come and save you from the wrath to come it's not going to hit you we have not been appointed to wrath these pictures and these precedents are all over our Old Testament so while it's not a prophetic event it has pictures and it has precedents and that is why I think when you get in our New Testament now I've told you that John's writings came right at the end of the first century <coughs> but it's not how they're presented to us in our Bible are they? and even though this is perhaps the last book written in the Bible, John's Gospel it comes quite early on it comes to us before the Acts and then before all of these epistles and all the great teaching of the church and I think God continues the principle of showing us something in a picture before he spells it out to us doctrinally and that picture is the resurrection of Lazarus it is the resurrection of a decomposed body in a grave of somebody who was particularly precious to the Lord Jesus the beginning of the passage says now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus it didn't really look like it did it when it says he abode two days still and, and even that by the way and I'm not here to make predictions but I do think every word of scripture is significant he abode two days still in the place where he was 
within the next decade or less it will be two millennium since our saviour left this earth I don't know why everybody got so wound up and excited about the year 2000 <laughs> it's not 2000 years from when he came that I'm interested in it's 2000 years from when he left and he abode two days still in the place where he was it took the messenger a day to get there the Lord abode two days it took another day to get back by this time he stinketh four days had passed notice in the passage the picture Jesus was coming when Jesus came Jesus was coming Jesus came when Jesus was coming he said to Martha I am the resurrection and the life Martha this is what happens when I come remember what he said back in chapter 5 they that hear his voice do you know what he said in chapter 10 immediately before chapter 11 you know what's in chapter 10 isn't it the good shepherd and you know what he says about his sheep and by the way it's a very interesting chapter because he says I've got other sheep as well <laughs> and he speaks about the difference between Israel and the church it's right there in John 10 we don't have time to look at that just now but this is what he says in John 10 he says my sheep hear my voice and I know them so when you get somebody preaching on John 11 and they say it's a good job the Lord Jesus said Lazarus come forth because if he hadn't used the word Lazarus all the graves would have emptied it's not true they wouldn't only his sheep hear his voice all the graves of the believers may have come forth he says very specifically Lazarus come forth and Lazarus came forth <laughs> raised from the dead an out resurrection not a general resurrection of the last day that we'll say more about later and which is covered in the passage we'll look at tonight God willing in Revelation 20 but a selective out resurrection of those who he loves those who he's close to you know you, you see the mystery in this gospel this gospel is full of it it's full of lots of things but there's two W's water and women why water and women? Well, with some of the young folks last night we were pointing out the significance in scripture of water the significance of it right now is that I need it a little bit and uh, this gospel's got water everywhere you just read it through yourself water into wine Bethabara beyond Jordan there was much water there the man at the pool uh, the Lord cleansing the eyes with the spittle the woman at the well I mean you, you can just I thirst it's water everywhere because the Lord Jesus tells us it's the gospel of the Holy Spirit he tells us about the coming of the Holy Spirit this is the age of the Spirit of God that's the day and age you live and I live in we speak about Pentecost to the rapture the giving of the Spirit and the removal of the Spirit and it's not only the gospel of water the gospel of the Spirit it's the gospel of women mystery women strange women very 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 strange women remember the first sign is performed for the benefit of two women the last sign is performed for the benefit of two women as well not interesting first was performed for a woman whose wedding day was going astray and his mother the last one two sisters who've lost their brother the women are actually central to this gospel Matthew starts the gospels with, with, with four women associated with the crib and John finishes the Gospels with four women associated with the cross. <laughs> they stood by the cross of Jesus. His mother, his mother's sister. 
Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. Where were the disciples? Well, one of them was kind of shamefully standing by, but they'd all forsaken him and fled. And four faithful women stood by the cross. But they're really mysterious women. Mary Magdalene, out of whom he cast seven demons. When? Where? Don't know. Chapter 3, huge discourse with a man. We know who he is, Nicodemus. Chapter 4, a huge discourse with a woman. Who is she? When I was a kid, we used to say she's the biggest woman in the Bible, the woman of some area. But, you know, who is she? We don't know. We're not told. Chapter 8 that we've read, the woman taken in adultery. We don't know who she is. Do you know, even Martha and Mary, a very interesting thing to look at. You read the other Gospels. You read about Bethany. And you read about Martha and Mary, you'll never put the two together. It's only when you come to this gospel that it all comes together. And you discover that that certain village was Bethany. And that that house of Simon the leper, I would judge, is the house of Martha, who I would judge, or believe at least, is the wife of Simon the leper. And you put them all together. The reason there's so many mysterious women, there's a woman whose wedding it is, you're not even told who it is. Some have speculated, you know, they like to think it's Nathaniel's wedding. I'm not sure there's a huge amount to base that upon. But you would think at least you'd be told who the bride was. You know, even as a man, if I said to my wife we'd been invited to a wedding, she would expect that I would at least know who the bride was. But we're not told. Even the way his mother's sister is described... Even the way John refers to his mother, his mother's sister. It's all mystery. Why? Because all the way threaded through this gospel, there is another mystery woman, is the church. And when you get to the upper room, it's the seed plot of church history. And what does the Lord Jesus teach us? He tells us about the commencement of the age. I'll give you the spirit. He tells us about the great characteristic of the age, that you love one another. And he has to repeat it and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it to drum it into our heads. That's the great assembly principle of the age, that you love one another. There is a predominant assembly principle. I have no doubt about that. A dear beloved brother John Riddle says, it is the great granite block of New Testament truth that you love one another. And that little group in that upper room are told, what will you get from the world? You'll get hatred. And he says, it's so vital that you love one another. And then he comes to the consummation of the age. And we've read it tonight, haven't we? We've read it in John 14. Oh, in John 13 he said to this little group who were now described as his own. His own in chapter 1 which we'll look at later. They received him not. But there were those who did receive him. And we get to chapter 13 it says having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the ultimate. He loved them right to the end. Even though he was in the extremity of his circumstances and within hours of his crucifixion. All his concern was with them. He says to them, I'm going to my father. <laughs> You're not even asking me about it. Your sorrow has filled your heart. He says, well I've told you about the commencement of the age. The spirit's coming. And I've told you about the characteristics of the age. You have to love one another. You have to be at enmity with the world. He says, I want to tell you about the climax of the age. I want to tell you about its consummation. He says, I'm going to my father. And he says, I'll tell you why I'm going. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now we go to two extremes when we read those verses. 
some of us think that he's up there in heaven and he's building the mansions and he's just getting them right and yours is getting the final touches and yours is getting a bit of double glazing and whatever else well they're just dwelling places and I don't believe for a moment that's what's happening but some go to the other extreme and they say all that's involved is the cross he's going to the cross and there at the cross he'll prepare a place for us now I understand what they mean but I believe that place was prepared as a result of the resurrection and the ascension the moment my saviour walked into heaven the moment he went to it it was ready for you and it was ready for me there's a man in the glory the bible says this he's the first fruits he's like the sheaf that's taken in and it's just an evidence that there's a whole harvest to follow he's the forerunner he's come in first and there's another great army coming behind him you and I are part of it he's the earnest he's the guarantee he's there so we'll be there he says those lovely words he says I go to prepare a place for you he says if it were not so he says I would have told you he's just said to them in chapter 13 he's just said you know where I'm going you can't come Peter's horrified <laughs> he says why not Lord he says well let me qualify it Peter just as I said to the Jews you can't come now but unlike I said to the Jews they'll perish in their sins but he says not you you will come hereafter because I am going to come for a very specific purpose I'm going to come to take you to be with me now very quickly before we run out of time the reason I read chapter 12 and the reason I try to give you a little indication of the strange sequence you see the problem you'll have without going into the detail is if you look at the, the different gospel accounts this anointing one of them appears to be six days before and one of them appears to be two days before now that's because I think John is just making a general statement and because it is this mystery uh, uh, gospel this gospel of the church it takes the events of the anointing which actually in chronological order happened after the entry into Jerusalem but John in his account moves it forward now why does he do that? because <coughs> he's painting you a little picture and he's pointing out that yes the Old Testament is taught and there is this great truth the Messiah is coming to Jerusalem we'll look at it later today I don't care what men think his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives it'll divide in two it'll be raised up there'll be blessing upon this earth and the headquarters will be Jerusalem and the nation will be revived. And they'll look upon him and they pierced and they'll repent. Not the disobedient bunch you are out there today. Well after another holocaust. And after suffering that's going to be unimaginable. They'll suddenly realise what they did. And they'll repent. And he'll come to Jerusalem and he'll reign from Jerusalem. But you know what he tells the Thessalonians? When he comes to do that he's going to bring you with him. And if he's going to bring you with him, at some point he's going to have to collect you. At some point he's going to have to take you to be with himself. So whether this whole creation is groaning and waiting for the manifestation of what? The sons of God in the plural, you and I, as well as the Lord Jesus. We can only come with him if at some point he's taken us first of all to his presence. So says the Thessalonians, uh, just as he came that day at, uh, at Bethany, he's going to come to the air. 
But just as in that very, very early picture in our Bible of an unnamed servant taking the tokens and putting them on a bride and bringing that bride on a journey across a wilderness and all the way telling her about his master and telling her about his master's son and telling her and one day she looks out and she says who's that that I can see? <sighs> says the unnamed servant that's him the Lord himself is going to come the Lord himself is going to descend the Lord himself is going to meet us in the, and he's going to take us out of this scene and I tell you it's imminent how do I know it's imminent when I go to chapter 21 we've missed chapter 17 haven't we I apologise for that but that, for that lovely last request we'll, we'll pick it up tonight in the next session actually because it's very pertinent to what we're going to look at that they may behold his glory and at half past four onwards we're going to start to behold his glory but in chapter 21 here's this remarkable scene Here's Peter, and the Lord says, Now, Peter, the other night you failed me. Three times you'll ask the question, Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me more than these? Feed my sheep, tend my lambs, tend my sheep, look after them. Peter, Peter, Peter. He says, This he said, signifying by what death. So, see when you hear, dear brethren, say, The only prophetic event that ever had to be fulfilled before the rapture could take place is the ransacking of Jerusalem. And that's true, the Lord predicted that would happen. But it's not the only thing. Two things had to happen. Peter had to die. There could never be a rapture till Peter was dead, because the Lord had made it explicitly clear Peter was going to die. But Christians being Christians, they'd got the wrong end of the stick. Because Peter had asked the question and said, oh, Wait a minute, Lord, what about John? The Lord says, Peter, if it be that he remains, if it be that he remains, in other words, there's a possibility. The Lord's teaching the imminency. He's saying, I want you to live in the light of the fact that it could be. And if this old man carried on, you know, they were all probably dead by AD 67. And now we're away into the 90s. And old John's still living. He's out there. And, you know, I think the saints of the day, and I know they didn't have the communications that we have, but they must have been watching every day and saying, He's still here. He's still here. He's not gone yet. He's still here. He's still here. He's still here. Still breathing. The old boy's still there. Because the Lord had said, If it be, that we'll see in our next session in half an hour, in a very strange way, He did abide until the Lord came remember we're talking about pictures and we're going to see a beautiful picture in a minute and John's at the very centre of the picture I heard as it were the voice of a trumpet saying come up hither and immediately says John I was gone now we'll look at that next but I hope we've just laid the foundation we're waiting for this moment our Saviour's going to return he's going to take us to be with himself because when he comes in glory he's going to bring us with him then between I would judge he's going to remove all the rubbish there's going to be a judgment seat of Christ and he's going to present us as that bride unblemished, unblameable and perfect and in all his majesty we didn't take part in the sufferings he earned it all without us but we're going to take part in the glory and as we're going to look a little later we're going to see the recognition of this land before we see the restitution of things here on earth and we're going to behold his glory just as the Lord Jesus prayed Father I will that those who now hast given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory we trust God may bless his word we just commend ourselves in prayer now and take a break Father we thank thee for the wonder of the word of God we thank thee for these great truths 
And Father, we, we thank thee the great principle of Scripture that thou hast revealed things to babes. We think of the cleverness of men, and yet at times they obscure the things of God and the things of thy word. And we thank thee, Father, for this great truth that our Saviour has a desperate desire that we would be with him where he is, and that we would behold his glory, and our God, we believe that prayer could be answered before our day's confidence is finished. We thank thee, Father, that Jesus will come again. We thank thee, Father, he's going to descend, and we'll see a little of the detail later. He's going to send with a shout, with a voice of an archangel, and the trump of God. And so shall we be forever with the Lord. Bless our time together today, Father. Bless thy word to us. Give us help from thyself, both physically and spiritually. And just enable us to look into the things of thy word. And as the people of God, to be built up in our faith. And to seek to live to thee. Remember those we've prayed about today. Remember our nation tonight. And our God, we just pray for thy blessing on all of these things. We thank thee for this time of fellowship, for the saints here in Ferdy Lee, and for the provision that's been made for us. We acknowledge it ultimately comes from thee. And so we return our thanks. And ask for thy blessing in our time together now. In the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.